We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. You can get all your Pack-A-Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack-A-Day Podcast. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can always check us out at CheeseheadTV.com. My name is Kyle Fellows, and I'm joined by my co-host, Andrew Mertig. Andrew, welcome back to a very special Friday edition of the show. Uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> it, it's great to be back, and it will be a very special episode, as you say, because we are going to be breaking down the Packers' special teams. Uh, so why don't you give us a general overview of the teams, if I can call it that, from last season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Actually, this week, Rick Gosselin published the 2018 Special Teams Rankings, and according to Gosselin, Packers fans were right in their suspicions about the Green Bay Special Teams unit. They were not good. In fact, Gosselin ranked them 32nd. Andrew, how many teams are there in the NFL? Uh, I believe that would be 32 Nice. So that's dead last for those of you who are keeping score at home. Uh, But this is not just a recent problem that we've seen. Special teams coordinator Ron Zook had been employed by the Packers for five years in 2014 as a special teams assistant and then as the coordinator for the last four years. And according to Goslin's annual special teams rankings, three of those five years, the Packers finished in the bottom five in the league on special teams. 
which is a big ouch. So it was time to move on from Ron Zook and go in a little bit of a different direction here, obviously. And the Packers have interviewed Miami Dolphins special teams coach Darren Rizzi, who was a popular candidate among fans. He left Green Bay without a deal, and all signs point to the Packers going in a different direction. Rizzi is popular in Miami and was a candidate for their head coach gig. And the rumor is that Miami wants him back. So unless a team blows him away with an offer he can't refuse, he might just stay put there. Green Bay also interviewed Jacksonville Jaguars assistant special teams coach Mike Malak. I want to say Mike Malarkey, Mike Mallory for the job. (laughs) And then uh, just today, Tom Silverstein tweeted that the Packers have talked to Giants assistant Tom Quinn about their special teams uh, coaching opening here in Green Bay. Uh, Quinn has worked with the Giants special team since 2007. So lots of options out there to fill this opening. But for now, we are still waiting to hear who the next special teams coach is going to be. So let's just talk a little bit about what we saw from this special teams unit in 2018. Yeah, I I think there are a lot of people out there who don't find special teams to be particularly interesting as a topic. So please keep listening. (laughs) Don't give up Uh, on us. That was a great selling point, wasn't it? (laughs) But I, I also think a lot of people don't think that it's as important as offense and defense. But if you look at the final four teams, each has fantastic special teams play. As collective units, uh, football outsiders ranked Kansas City number two, New Orleans number nine, New England 16, and L.A. 19. Uh, By the way, Green Bay was 28th on that ranking list, so uh, that's pretty consistent with what you were talking about, Kyle. If you dive into their hidden points ratings, so really the impact that the special teams has on how you score and how you don't give up points, the Saints were number one, Chiefs number five, Rams six, and New England eight. So they all have really good special teams. And if you look at the particular conference championship games, there were 11 attempted field goals and extra points. There were zero misses. 11 for 11 kickers, good job. The Rams had a critical fake punt from Johnny Hecker to Sam Shields that, of course, we would remember, and Greg Zerline made a 57-yard clutch field goal look like a casual extra point. Cordero Patterson had a fantastic kick return that helped set the Patriots' last drive up, um, and I think that's easy to re- or easy to forget based on how the rest of that went. Uh, know where your position, D. Ford. <laughs> And maybe just as importantly, the coverage units didn't give up those huge, disastrous plays that seem to always plague Green Bay under Ron Zook's tenure. Having good offense and defense in the NFL is mandatory. But I think what really separates the good teams from the great ones is the play of their special teams. Absolutely. So we're going to jump right in here and talk about a couple different uh, players and a couple different observations that we have about the special teams this this year. And I wanted to start with Mason Crosby. Um, Mason is a guy who's been around the Packers for a long time. He was drafted in 2007. He's currently 34 years old, which is old, but not anything compared to Adam Vinatieri. So he's like a spring chicken <laughs> compared to, to Vinatieri. But he's been doing this a while. He's been steady Eddie for the Packers for a long time. And Crosby actually had a pretty good 2018 season. But he, his season is severely tainted by that week five game against the Detroit Lions in which Crosby missed 
and missed a lot. He missed from 41, 42, 38, and 56 yards before finally connecting on a 41-yarder to end the day. Obviously, this is one of the worst performances of Crosby's career, but the very next week, he was able to bounce back, and he had a perfect night, successfully making all of his extra point attempts and going four for four, including a 27-yarder to win that game. So great to see see the way that he could rebound in the way that he did. Uh, now Crosby, you know, he, he did finish the season as the 24th best kicker in terms of his field goal percentage, which obviously isn't great. And he finished 18th in extra point percentage, which is middle of the pack as well. Uh, but what I thought was really interesting is that if you drop the Lions game from the equation, so we're getting a little bit creative here, but if you drop that from the equation, Simply throw it out as an outlier. Crosby's field goal percentage would have been the eighth best in the league. So it's just interesting to note how one performance that's not your best really impacts a player's statistics on paper. Uh, One other thing to note about Crosby is that his salary averages in at fifth highest in the league amongst kickers. Uh, So fans might get the itch to think that we're overpaying him for the results that we're getting, but the relative difference between the highest paid kicker in the league compared to the 20th highest paid kicker in the league is only about $2 million per year. So unless you can get a rookie kicker on a cheap deal, there's really no reason to just get cute and start playing musical chairs with kickers in this league. Uh, Guys have hot streaks and they get cold sometimes, but if you've got a proven vet like Crosby, it's probably in your best interest to hold on to that guy, especially when they display the kind of mental toughness that he did to bounce back from that career low day uh, and be his very dependable self in the very next game. So all around a decent year from Mason Crosby, but one I think that he can improve on next year. Yeah, when organizations try to get cute and save money in the kicker position, you end up in um, a situation like the Chicago Bears are, quite frankly. Don't don't they wish that they had Robbie Gold, in in all seriousness? I I mean, you you can get into some really disastrous situations when you start messing around with your kicking game. Absolutely. So, transitioning from kicker to punter, I'm going to talk about J.K. Scott. The fifth-round pick certainly demonstrated his big leg in showing off some impressive hang time on a lot of his kicks. He had a few duds, as one might expect from a rookie, especially playing in Lambeau Field. But there is certainly a lot of promise there. I, I think some of his luster is lost a little bit because he was drastically outperformed by fellow rookie Michael Dixon of the Seahawks. And if you look at the traditional statistics for punters, Scott ranges somewhere between middle of the league and the bottom third. But there are many factors that affect those limited metrics. And I think Scott performed pretty admirably throughout the year. He has that massive leg. But he's mostly utilized to kick the ball high rather than far. Part of that is definitely Ron Zook's methodology and not allowing punt returns, period. Even at the risk of kicking it short. So it is going to be interesting to see the direction that he's given by the next special teams coordinator. And how that affects his performance and then by result, his stats. Unless something drastic occurs, I would bet Scott is the long-term answer at punter in Green Bay. After all, they did spend a draft pick on him, and they may not even bring in camp competition, depending on how Brian Gutekunst thinks of, of him. Outside of kicking the ball, my main concern is that Scott is a great holder for Mason Crosby. And honestly, I would have a lot worse grades for him there than in his actual punting game. Crosby never publicly blamed the rookie duo for any of his struggles. And you'll be talking about long snapper in a little bit. But there always seemed to be something off. 
and Mason was often seen correcting the hold of Scott, even after some of his makes. And that is something he's going to have to get figured out in the offseason. A little bit of advanced scouting will tell you that Nick Saban always had a quarterback holding kicks at Alabama, and he still does. As a side note, this is to allow options for faking kicks, and it has nearly cost Bama on several occasions. So even the the coaches that we think the most highly of have some quirks uh, that cause issues in the game. So this is probably Scott's first year holding on regular duty, and I would expect him to be able to improve and and that be a much more stable environment for Mason Crosby next season. Yeah, that's a really good point, talking about his usage at Alabama and something that I didn't even think about, that he would have to really transition there and grow um, as a player and what he was asked to do. Um, But I think it's probably just our great charisma that's just going to hold our listeners today because we are jumping from punter to long snapper. (laughs) So I'm going to talk a little bit about Hunter Bradley. Um, And you mentioned a little bit of the inconsistencies that we saw in that exchange and in some of the, the long snaps and things like that and figuring out how all that comes together. But I'd be lying to you if I told you I had a strong opinion of how to evaluate long snappers. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit about what we know about Bradley. Um, Bradley actually began his college career at Mississippi State as a tight end, uh, but knee injuries forced him into the role of long snappers. So for those of you wondering if you can just become a long snapper somehow, apparently the answer is in debilitating injuries. So, uh, But the Packers did spend a seventh-round pick on Bradley in 2018, so they obviously liked him, and they kept him over Zach Triner after five Final cuts, uh, but a seventh rounder isn't a huge investment. Uh, so I think that that is some place that they could look to upgrade if they, as people who actually know how to evaluate long snappers, uh, deem that necessary and something that could help this team in the long run. Yeah, and we don't even have Andy Herman's grades to go off of because he does not grade special teams. And it is really difficult to find any consistency in what pro football focus rates. And they certainly aren't rating long snappers. So <laughs> I, I give you all the credit for taking on that challenge yeah. this week. <laughs> Something that we can evaluate a little bit more thoroughly is the return game. And um, I wanted to take a look at kick returner. I'm going to go ahead and assume we're going to grade Ty Montgomery as a poor kick returner based on one particular play. I can't remember exactly what yeah, happened in that particular situation. But the Packers had a chance to beat a team that is now playing in the Super Bowl, so uh, we'll leave it at that. Trevor Davis never really got healthy enough to evaluate. Marquez Valdez-Scantling didn't do a great job, and he was replaced in those duties. Bashaw Breeland wasn't much better. Quite frankly, the Packers were a really bad kick-returning team, and they need to get a lot better in that area. I think a lot of people were complaining the new rules would just completely eliminate kick returns from the game. But I think they actually became more important. And that is because the best special teams coordinators took advantage of the new rules and had terrific results. And the bad special teams coordinators didn't know how to do that and therefore didn't have good results. So that widened the gap between what teams were getting out of field position. It starts with not being a dinosaur and being the only team in the league trying to block with an offensive lineman, Ron Zook. (laughs) It ends with going out and getting a return guy who can make people miss and make the correct decisions on when to come out of the end zone and when to take a knee. When you were talking about good and bad special teams coordinators, I wondered if you were going to 
you know, ascribe that to a certain coordinator that we've seen. But you did. So uh, uh, I'm glad that you you tied that. To, to I, did. <laughs> I did. I did. And let me make this clear. Ron Zook, we go to church together and he is a super, super nice guy. I just think his time as a coordinator was done. At, nice. At the end of the season. If he doesn't sit by you in church after this episode, we'll know why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I'm going to talk about the punt return game, just a little bit different here. Um, the Packers had six different players return punts in 2018, which seems like a lot to me. Um, I'd have to look at the rest of the league to see how that compares, but it certainly seems like punt returner is very unsettled for this Green Bay Packers team. And obviously the loss of Trevor Davis for much of the season played a really big role in the situation that the Packers found themselves in. But when Davis was available, um, which was for four punt returns, uh, he was noticeably better than anyone else that the Packers had back there. Uh, Like I said, he only returned four punts, and obviously that's a really small sample size. But his average of 11 yards per return would have been one of the best averages in the league if he could have sustained that. Uh, but as a whole, the Packers punt return, they only averaged three or sorry, that would be really bad. Six point eight <laughs> yards per return and ranked 22nd in the league. And that's what Davis is. That's with his uh, average Davis's average pulling those numbers up even a little bit. So the Packers just had a really hard time getting much on punt returns this season. But on the flip side, just for comparison, the Packers allowed their op- opponent the sixth most yards per punt return. Uh, So in 2018, they were bad at maximizing their own opportunities on punt returns, and they were really bad at preventing the other team from having success on punt returns. So uh, entering the season, there were a lot of people who thought it was really, it'd be really hard to justify giving Trevor Davis a roster spot just to be a returner. And I was one of those people. I thought that the Packers could find production from other players in the return game. But this season, we saw that that wasn't the case. In fact, we saw a huge difference between what Davis brings to the table and the rest of the committee that had opportunities back there. Davis does have one more year left on his contract. And so unless the Packers get aggressive in addressing punt returner in the offseason, my bet would be that they will want him back next year in hopes that a healthy Trevor Davis can give them a little bit of a boost that they need on special teams. And and you started to allude to the coverage of punts for the Packers. And I just wanted to take a slightly deeper dive into those coverage teams and um, this is usually an area that doesn't get a lot of attention. It's difficult to project players because these units are made up of first and second year players who might not even be on the team right now. I've heard many special team special team coordinators get input on four roster positions on a team. So that would be, of course, long snapper, kicker, punter, and then one coverage guy. Um, and potentially a return guy instead of the coverage guy. It really, really depends on the situation. But if you're going to give me one coverage guy, that guy is Tony Brown. Every single day of the week. I think he really has the potential to be a Pro Bowl special teams guy. His speed and his strength and his toughness combine um, into a package that just doesn't come around every day. And I think he has a really, really bright future in special teams. In fact, the only thing that might prevent him from becoming an elite special teams player is if he starts getting regular snaps on defense, which he might. Um, James Crawford was the guy that was supposed to be the special teams demon coming into this season. Uh, To quote a former special teams coach of the Packers, the ball of knives coming down the field to make special teams plays. But I thought he was just kind of replaceable, and I don't necessarily expect him to be back based on the performance that I saw. 
other guys I like for coverage units, if they return and if they make the team, would be guys like Oren Burks and Natrell Jamerson, Danny Vitale, uh, Kendall Donerson, who I mention all the time, but he has every <laughs> quality you'd look for in a coverage guy for special teams. But there are certainly going to be a lot of new faces that that make an impact on this unit. But I would just like to see them have some priority um, in the coverage and in the special teams in general. And it sounds like Matt LaFleur is making more of a focus towards that. Absolutely. And one other important role of a special teams unit is eliminating the big play and especially the big play that results in points. And so just a couple quick things to know. The Packers were tied with four other teams for the most points allowed to their opponents on special teams with 12 points. Now, 12 points obviously doesn't sound like a lot, and it doesn't include the extra points and the field goals that occur on special teams. But the margin of victory in the league is so small that you can't afford to rank worse than the league in any category related to giving up points. And so just important to note there that that was another area that they were incredibly low in. Um, Then I wanted to talk a little bit about special teams penalties. Uh, The Packers committed 26 penalties on special teams this season. That's the third most in the league. Uh, These penalties resulted in 220 yards worth of penalties, which was also fourth most in the league. What's really pretty interesting is that the Packers as a whole were not a highly penalized team in 2018. Neither the offense or the defense were in the bottom half of the league in penalties. But this special teams unit was out there catching penalties like they're playing Pokemon Go and they've got to catch them all. <laughs> so, I know I usually leave you with the joke, so I got to get mine. That's, that's pretty good. Thanks, that's man. pretty good. <laughs> so if anybody's still listening to our special teams episode, they got that little blessing in there. Uh, so whoever the Packers next special teams coach is going to be will have the task of making this team a much more disciplined group and one that's less likely to make mistakes because they simply cannot acquire the penalties and the yards that that cost them throughout this last season. Great. So we just spent a ton of time talking about special teams. I'm actually really excited about it now now that we we have gone through it and done some assessment and and some potential solutions um, for those units. But we wanted to transition a little bit. This week saw two of my favorite events of the offseason, and those get me really excited to start looking at the offseason as a whole. Uh, There was the East-West Shrine game last Saturday, and then this week has been the Senior Bowl practices. And I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about some of the players that I saw that left a really positive impression in my mind. I posted a list of players I really liked from the Shrine game on Twitter, but the top guy on my list is Edge Justin Hollins from Oregon. He's a long, lean guy who definitely expels at this excels, not expels. Um, he, he excels at the speed and um, that bend game. You know, the the getting down and around blockers and and moving outside them. To me, he's a poor man's Harold Landry. I thought his play could push him to an early day three selection if he continues to ascend in the offseason. And certainly the Packers could use that help at the pass rusher. My favorite guy so far from the senior bowl has been wide receiver Penny Hart from Georgia State. He's a 5'8 jitterbug. It was reported Thursday afternoon that Hart had met with the Packers scouts at the senior bowl. He is really, really intriguing to me because of his short area quickness and speed, something the Packers could certainly be looking to add this offseason. He's looked really good at the practices and is exactly the kind of complement to that current set of kind of tall, 
big physical wide receivers that Green Bay possesses. He'd be incredibly fun toy for Matt LaFleur to send in motion and create mismatches all over the field. And maybe he can return kicks and punts, just saying, after yeah. talking about special teams. At this point, Hart's likely a day three draft pick, but it's somebody that I am going to be keeping my eye on. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know anything about Justin Hollins from Oregon, so I'll have to check him out a little bit. But I was a big Harold Landry fan uh, last year. So anytime you can drop his name in there, I can be a fan of anybody you compare him to. So looking forward to getting into him. I'm going um, to get absolutely destroyed for comparing him to Harold Landry <laughs> if Ross Uglum hears this. So. All right. We'll look forward to you getting torn, up, torn apart on Twitter. Um, another player who's made a big statement at the Senior Bowl this week is Montez Sweat. Uh, Sweat is an edge rusher from Mississippi State, and going to the Senior Bowl, there seemed to be an expectation that there was a big drop-off after the big five edge rushers. Bosa and Farrell, Polite, Burns, and Josh Allen were kind of that big group of five that you're kind of hoping one of those guys falls to 12. Uh, but Montez Sweat has put on such a show in Mobile that it sounds like he could be in play for a top 10 to 15 selection. And you know who picks in the top 15? your Green Bay Packers. So Montez Sweat is another name to add to your watch list as we get a little bit closer to the draft and see if he might look good in a Green Bay Packer jersey. I'm excited to see how Sweat proceeds through the pre-draft process. Um, To me, I get a little bit scared anytime there's a guy who's too reliant on power. So I'm very intrigued to see what his athletic measurables end up being because he's certainly been playing really well in the senior bowl. Yeah, absolutely. And there's actually a little bit of buzz out there that his interviews have not been super great, uh, that he's impressing on the field, but that scouts have not loved the way that he's interacted uh, with the scouts that are down there. So uh, nothing to see there, but just something to note as they get a little bit closer and probably sort some of that stuff out at the combine. Yeah, and one of the other positions that I've been taking a look at is quarterback, which is weird because from a very selfish Green Bay Packers standpoint, of course you have Aaron Rodgers, and I hope that Matt LaFleur is not looking to replace him. (laughs) And then you you would assume that Deshaun Kaiser is going to be the backup going into the season, and they have a developmental prospect and Tim Boyle behind them. But there is certainly some impact from those quarterbacks on what players are going to be available at pick 12. So early indications are that Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray, Drew Locke, Daniel Jones could all be drafted high. And there's always the chance that teams may fall in love with other guys. Uh, one name that pops off early is Buffalo quarterback Tyree Jackson. So I wanted to take a look at the quarterback needy teams around the league. The ones that are picking before 12, you have the Raiders, Buccaneers, Giants, Jaguars, Broncos, and Bengals. And certainly you you start to see quarterbacks starting to get pushed up the draft board at this point. There are also some quarterback needy teams that are picking between 12 and 30. You have the Dolphins, Washington, the Raiders again, and the Raiders a third time. Not that that Derek Carr isn't great, but, um, you know, he's not great. And (laughs) John Gruden may, may or may not like him. And he's coaching at the Senior Bowl, so he might find a guy that that he really likes. There are some other teams that really wouldn't surprise me if they took a first-round quarterback. The Vikings being one, the Titans, the Steelers, the Chargers, the Patriots. So there are going to be a lot of opportunities to push quarterback prospects up the draft board and hopefully push down those elite defenders to pick 12 and then maybe even later on into into um, you know pick 30 or, or the second round. 
And it also gives Brian Gutekunst some great options to move around the draft board and then acquire more draft capital. So we talked about special teams. We talked a little bit about the Shrine game and the Senior Bowl. And unfortunately, we are out of time for today. This has been the Packaday Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit. And you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the Packaday Podcast if you like what we're doing. Tomorrow's episode is going to be hosted by Mike and Tyler. And they'll be reviewing the Packers coaching staff. I wanted to take this time to welcome Sarah Kelleher to the podcast. Her first official episode as a co-host was yesterday. But then she went ahead and tweeted that she was 12 years old when B.J. Raji returned an interception for a touchdown against the Bears in the NFC Championship game. So thank you for making us all feel very old. And now I am rescinding my welcome. But... You know, despite her youth, Sarah is a part of the Packaday family, and you should definitely check her out um, on yesterday's episode and at Sarah Kelleher 4. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. We'll be back next Friday as we begin our deep dive into the Packers offseason. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember... in the shotgun, Williams to his left, here's the snap, Rogers clean pocket, throws the middle of the end zone, they beat Morris Playboard, to the back line of the end zone, the Packers have won it, snap to Wild, oh yes, and taken by Jackson in the end zone, for a touchdown, Geronimo it was grabbed by Geronimo Allison, Josh Jackson, the Recovers in the end zone and a Lambo lead to the north end zone stand. The Packers have a 6 nothing lead. Pepper on third down of three in the shotgun. Packers showing a blitz and here they come. Pepper looking. Hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline. And intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Snap to Rogers looking right. Throws the right side. St. Brown makes the catch nice inside the bounds. Oh, he reached back to gather it in. Using all 6-5 of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds. Inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Hunter Bradley the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee. Arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Yes, Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. Third and five, 13-yard line of Atlanta. Snap, Ryan, looks right, close, right down. Intercepted to the house, Bishop Breland. Touchdown, Green Bay Packers. 19-yard interception return, and it's 16-7, Packers. Rodgers looks it over. The snap, blitz on, they pick it up, lost they got him, they got him, Single back offense behind Aaron Rodgers, he ducks it under center. From the 29 in Green Bay, and here is the handoff up the middle, big Sideline, and he's out of bounds. Inside the 10 of the five-yard line of Miami. 
first, 67 yards. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.